Welcome to Business Talk Sister Rock. I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode topic is how to get paid to teach entrepreneurship internationally. And in this episode, I think it might actually spill over into two, but I'm going to teach a little bit about how to prepare and to propose to get paid for teaching entrepreneurship. Um, but this is actually two parts in one because when I first set out to do this or look into it, um, there there was a lot of questions for me here. Can you truly start a business anywhere? Would I be qualified to teach entrepreneurship in another environment besides my own that I know, right? And then also, can you get paid to do it, to teach entrepreneurship? Uh, what does that look like on an international scale? And so this is this is answering those two questions, two in one. And then as I do that, um, I really do want to reflect on the last two episodes in this series with uh, with Ipari and with Rama, those interviews, because I think there's a lot to be learned, not only in those things, but then also in, in trying to approach teaching an entrepreneurship class and, and talking to people from different places throughout the world, because I do have a lot of international listeners, and it, it's been a dream of mine to do a little exploring into teaching and consulting internationally and seeing how it would look like for my life and my family, because that's one of my family goals when I maybe reach retirement, but I, <laughs> that's a long ways off for me, and I just want to know, is this even a, like a legitimate goal? So, um, this is part of that, exploring that and learning and, and coming up with, okay, this is what I think is doable and and learning through that process along with you. So if I'm going to go follow through on this, here, here are some things that you should be paying attention to. So um, there's quite a few different organizations like the World Health Organization, UNICEF, U.S. Department of aid, even the United Nations, and, and, and a lot of different organizations that are connected with those specific organizations that kind of branch off of that. You, you can network with, you can connect with, there's, a, there's even on the U.S. Department of Aid, they have all of the uh, vendors listed. You can get on that listing page, all of that, to try to start networking and understanding how people are getting into the industry. That's kind of how I started, just to like understand what was out there. And actually, the um, podcast series I did on how to work with the government really kind of gave me a deeper understanding with that. And those were episodes 143 to 145. The process is pretty similar when it comes to any kind of large, what's called an NGO or a non-government organization. So that would be like UNICEF or the World Health Org, like the WHO, whatever, all of that. So um, make, make sure to, to listen to those episodes too, because I think it will really help you get an understanding of how all these things fit together. And I really do think it, it kind of comes back to like that administrative paperwork piece to understanding how to write grants or how to write a proposal, that stuff. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just a lot of time and learning new terminology. So, and they make it look so complicated, right? So, okay. Anyways, we're going to back up. In order to submit a proposal, let's say, or even say, hey, this is what I can do. Here's my portfolio. You need to have some data. So in order to get data, you have to teach. And when, then you have to study the results of what you taught to your students. And you need to see how it plays out. Did you 
actually give them resources and information that they could put into practice right away? And is it changing their learning outcomes? And and Rama actually talked about that in the last episode regarding even her ability to raise capital and work with UNICEF. You have to have good data. And so you can't just say, oh, I'm good at this. Therefore, you should listen to me, right? And, and so you need to find those opportunities to teach so that you can um, start building that portfolio. So for me, I knew it would be easiest if I originally taught for free and approach those organizations with credibility to back me up. Uh, I decided to start thinking about how I would approach a nonprofit about a partnership or even give an idea of what I wanted to do. And I knew to establish my credibility, it was going to be easiest if I already had a platform. Now, thankfully, my my sister Ruthie and I have been working on this podcast for a long time. And then Ruthie started her own amazing, fabulous business. And, and I've been trying to keep the podcast going ever since, right? <laughs> and some of you have been so patient with me. I haven't released an episode for a little while. So huge shout out to that effort that really was instrumental in building a good foundation of quite a few podcast episodes and um what a champ for sticking with me for that long (laughs) ruthie did so anyways all right so so here i have a website and i have a social media presence to give you some credibility and i really do think actually the website is really more important for international people than um than a social media page just because that takes a lot more effort to have and it makes you look more professional. So I think that's really important to make sure that you have that prepared for when people start looking into you. And putting your face on your stuff is super important. So having a headshot, a biography, all that kind of stuff, really, really valuable to making sure that people feel comfortable even responding to an email when you reach out and say, hey, do you want to partner in this? Or I'm interested, I heard about you. This is what I heard you're doing. Can we work together? And so that's something that I did. And so I did this twofold, right? So I wanted to do podcast recordings throughout my trip. And then I also wanted to find an organization that I could partner with to be able to teach classes so that I could build some of that portfolio, that data, if I ever want to do it again in the future. And so um, if you want to build up to being that international consultant or teacher, my advice to you is to start young because I'm going to be honest, a big apprehension for me was, well, how do I cash flow this? Like, how can I go to another country, pay for my tickets, all that kind of stuff and teach for free? Well, to be honest with you, Uh, I knew that was a really lofty goal and I I knew it was going to basically come out of a research and development budget. And you can only do that for your business if you set aside the resources. I mean, you could probably blow it all on a credit card, but that's going to stress you out later, right? So I was very strategic in planning ahead for quite a few years to get to a point where I knew not only would I be able to accomplish the podcast that I wanted to do, but also... uh, partner with a good organization to know that I could be effective and so going back a little bit further to this and this is like story time with Becca right (laughs) here's a huge thing I learned there's this guy named David Horsager and he's actually been on my podcast before episode 59 if you want to check it out he wrote the book the trust edge well when I was in college 
I had a friend talk to me and they said, hey, have you ever considered consulting? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I would love to do that someday. I want to teach internationally. And they said, well, you should talk to this guy because he knows how to do that. He's done a lot of stuff. And I bet he would take a call from you if you reached out. Well, at the time, one of my buddies was his intern. So I was able to send him an email, say who recommended that I reach out to him, all this stuff. And he took an hour of his time to talk to me on the phone. And one of the things that was so, so instrumental to me was that he said, if you're going to take risks, do it while you're young. You have so much time to recover if you fail and you will learn so much. So if you're going to do something like start a business or whatever, do it while you're young, because if you fail, it's okay. It's okay. You have all this time. And I really was like, okay, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready at this moment in college to start a business while going to college, but yes, I want to keep that in mind. And then another mentor that really was super influential in helping me decide a little bit further that I wanted to start my own business was actually a guy named Tim Van Seuss, who came on my show, by the way, at the very beginning, episodes nine and 10, super, super great guy. If you're, he told me, if you're gonna take risks and quit your job to start something, you should do it while you're young because the opportunity cost gets higher as you get older and start making more money. Now, I had no idea entirely what he actually meant at the time until I realized, whoa, he is so right as I got older because it was harder and harder to give up money that I was making and lifestyle that I'd created or whatever to do something new to take a massive pay cut and start something. So that was crazy, like all those different things. So I'm super glad that I started my business when I did five years ago off of the advice of really great advisors who were pouring into me even for an hour, just one hour to give me that that insight that I am so thankful for. So I'm passing that on to you. Okay, so going back to my first question. So can you truly start a business anywhere, right? Yes, technology can definitely help you get started for such a low cost. And I get a lot of pushback on that. You see, I still have people say, well, yeah, but you still have to get enough money to get a phone or whatever. But come on, people who live in the desert and don't have power in their homes still somehow can find a way to get a phone, okay? (laughs) Right now, if your time is cheap because you're not in this later phase of life or whatever this is the perfect time to be preparing content and spending the energy to do it start when your time is cheap because you can create all this content and just like I was talking about with my podcast I mean honestly I haven't put out an episode in quite a few months because it took me a really long time to prepare for this series to actually travel internationally to do podcasts to um, teach internationally and have the resources stocked up to know that if I went on this trip and it was a, a lot more than I budgeted for or whatever, I financially would be okay, all right? And, and this is something, my research and development for, do I really wanna do this someday? Someday when I'm old, I don't know. And, and that's what I wanted to figure out. So I wanted to make sure I was prepared. And so the preparation of just creating content and teaching now is so, so valuable to wanting to eventually go and say, here's my portfolio and this is what I can teach on. And because I've done so many podcasts, I've learned so much about other people's businesses. And honestly, as you start 
teaching and talking with people, stories are what stick with them. So if you can learn from even any of the other episodes I've put out and it inspires you to try something or to connect with other entrepreneurs, that is so important to being able to build your experience. And so the next thing that you need to do in order to be able to make money teaching entrepreneurship internationally is networking, so much so. I would not have been able to be invited to teach if I had not been building relationships with people who knew the culture and the local players that I would be reaching out to and teaching or asking to do an interview with. Um, I had this goal for quite a few years because I have been blown away by um, seeing statistics on how influential entrepreneurship can be to helping different countries. And, and I really wanted to do that. So that part of the networking is like also having a passion for what is your purpose. Because people, like I said, respond really well to stories. So if you can say, this is my story about why I want to go teach entrepreneurship, that's going to stick in their heart and in their mind about what you want to do. And if they can identify with your passion, they can also advocate for you in front of other people and bring you more opportunities that you wouldn't have known existed. So here's part of my my story and my passion, I would share with people, hey, you know what? I've really seen the numbers on teaching women and how economically impactful it can be to their family, to a region, and quite honestly, dramatically decrease physical violence towards women throughout the world. And I would say, you know, I've read a lot of books on this. Um, some really great books out there, by the way, that give some really great information are When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian, Brian Fickert. And then there's um, Half the Sky by Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wudung. And, and, and by the way, that's not a children's book. <laughs> I would highly censor that one. And then the other the other one recently that I read was Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and how uh, women helping women is so important to furthering just overall economic gains for families. And like, that's something that I'm passionate about. And so as I've been sharing this with people over the last couple years, um, just opportunities didn't come together yet. And, and it was okay as I had this idea of what I wanted to do and I knew like just it wasn't the right time yet. Um, I hadn't found the right organization to partner with or whatever. But as time went on and I kept telling people, I had a friend that said, well, I'm going to this country. I may know somebody. So let's just keep in touch. And over the past couple months, we kind of like exchanged emails and said, how is this going? And we were kind of encouraging one another in our businesses or whatever. And then eventually I got connected to an opportunity. And so um, that leads me to the point that I'm, I'm trying to tell you, like you have to have your story and your passion presented, but then continue to tell other people because as you tell them, they're going to advocate, right? And I talked about that a little bit earlier. So now we're going to go back to preparing, right? And it can be as simple as posting on Instagram about a skill that you learned and teaching a bit about it to others and how they can do it. Now, in the first episode of this series, I pre, who, by the way, did not mention in the interview that 
Um, she has actually had people reach out to her for paid sponsorships. She has less than 10,000 followers and she continues to post regularly about things that she's been learning, even though she's not looking for business right now. And, and, and also I wanted to mention, she started preparing to learn English and learning about technology, even when she lived in a rural area and didn't have running water or electricity in her house, okay? So when I, like, this comes, circles back to, can you truly start a business anywhere? You can, yeah, I think you can always be preparing for the moment that you're starting your business. And eventually, like, her family moved into a city and they had more access to resources and schooling. And she was continuing to prepare and learning English better and practicing Russian. And she even entered competitions to compete against other people, to push herself, to be more accountable. And I really do think like prepare, prepare, prepare. If you want to do this 10 years from now, or in my mind, yeah, I, honestly, I've been thinking about wanting to do this for more than 10 years. And like you can be doing that in other things and practicing your skills so that when you reach out, people are like, oh, this person actually knows what they're talking about. So when I finally was invited by a friend to come and teach a class in another country, I'm going to be honest, they still did not have the class set up and they did not do any advertising. <laughs> and I am totally a preparer. And that would have been so much like if, if it were my culture, like totally different, right? But this is a new culture and I had been learning about other cultures, realized, okay, not everyone prepares the same way I do and what I'm used to. They don't do event planning. They don't do all this advertising on the radio, whatever. So we'll just let it go. And, and quite honestly, I did not have a legitimate class scheduled when I booked my flights. I booked my flights with no class lined up to teach, just the confirmation from a network connection that we were sure going to try. And okay, that was a risk. But you know what? I had been preparing financially so that even if it didn't work out, even if I showed up and there was really nothing, at least I could build some connections with the people there, make relationships. And the reality is that like I could just treat it as a vacation and it'd, it'd be okay. So at this point, I was thinking, all right, well, if it all falls through, at least it'll be a fun time and I'll meet some new people. And it wasn't actually until a week before I left the country that one class was on the calendar. And honestly, shortly before landing, a second organization heard about the class and asked for an additional class to be held in their location as well. And so, wow, look at this. All of a sudden we have two classes on the calendar for the week that I'm gonna be there. And if you think about this, it was definitely the sort of preparation you could say, wow, that's really risky, right? But I just want to say that some of the students that I met were far more admirable in their preparation and patience than I ever have been in my entire life. I'm going to be real because I taught a class in the city and one was to refugees that didn't know where the United Nations would place them. And they had been waiting for over five years to be assigned to a home country. And they weren't able to go back to their current one because of persecution or war or whatever. And, and here they were learning English and Spanish so they could be equally fluent and prepared to go anywhere in the world that they were placed that has like the highest probability of taking refugees. And... I'm just going to say like these people came to my class because they were trying to take any class they could get their hands on. 
to improve their skills and be able to show employers that they could be useful. And just, whoa, blows me away. That kind of intense desire to prepare and be ready. Okay, wow. All right, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is when you're preparing locally, whether it's right now creating content, teaching, like Ipari did, you know, and, and she picked the language that she did, all that kind of stuff. Um, always be thinking beyond your local area, but know your comparable rates for the industry you plan to be in locally as well. So you can start locally doing whatever you're doing, whether that's you start a podcast, you start your Instagram page. Um, but if somebody comes to you and says, I want you to teach me, more about business entrepreneurship, you need to know what's comparable to to teach. And when I first started my business, I did some research on what people were being paid for the type of job roles I wanted to do. And some of the areas I considered, I, I knew I had the kil- skills for, right? But honestly, when I looked at the numbers, those jobs or that hourly was not enough to be worth my time. So I did not include that in the scope of work I wanted to offer. And um, if you can access data for your industry and can find it on the internet or through the library, through like say the Department of Economic Development for your country or your state, uh, those can be really, really valuable places to look. And even if you can't even find it within your country, a lot of times the rates for wages and uh, industry can be comparable in a neighboring country if you're pretty small, like say in Africa or whatever, and, and you're competing against one another and you sell similar products. Like I think you could probably look at their data too if it's better. So having this in your back pocket for local consulting is really important because when it comes to pricing locally, I, I really commonly think like when you're first starting out, I, I come back to this saying, uh, no profit is welcome in their own home right? Because people are like, we know you, you, we grew up with you. What do you have that we don't? Why would I pay you to do that? And, and, and I'm not joking. When I first talked to my, one of my first potential clients, when I told them how much I charge, they just laughed at me because they were like, why would you charge that? That doesn't even seem good. And, but I had done the research and I knew that the average statewide wage for the job that I, they were asking me to do uh, was this. I also knew what my overhead would be and the risks that I would be taking on myself on their behalf to do the work. And I just knew that the data added up to this dollar amount. And I also knew that if I used the internet and online marketing, I could get business external to my town or even my region. And with like the use of the mail or online payments, I could get paid and I didn't need to worry about my location. And honestly, that's something that not a lot of people in the world are thinking about, right? And so think beyond your local area and know that your worth doesn't need to just be tied to where you are right now. But if you're starting out and you don't have any skills, then you do need to start lower than what, say, someone who's been doing it for five years is pricing themselves at. They have far more experience than you. You're, you're just starting out. Okay, so I think that's a good place to stop in preparation. And then in the next episode, I'm going to get into thinking about how to prepare your content for actually teaching 
and and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to transition to the gawk portion of this episode. Now, I, I love this example, right? I've done, I mean, like, I've done a ton of podcast episodes on different topics and everything. But uh, Rama, she has so much content on this platform that she's working with other people to curate content now and everything. And I got the opportunity to meet one of her uh, video animators while I was there who used to have his own business and he was doing a ton of research on finance because he was creating kids videos cartoon videos to teach kids all about finance as part of their platform and he was able to simplistically break down some pretty cool stories so I'm gonna play one for you um, this is uh, one of the employees from Little Thinking Minds and just listen to this great story. And I mean, I did it on the fly. I met him in the break room and the audio quality is not the best, but it's a pretty good gawk. So take a listen. And if you enjoyed this episode, give it a review on whatever platform that you are listening to podcasts on. And I will see you in the next episode. Uh, my name is Ronnie and I'm the head of media production and Little Thinking Minds. So I'm going to tell you the story of uh, the credit card. Uh, there was a businessman who was, he, he invited his uh, business associates or his clients to a dinner. And at the end of the dinner, when he wanted, wanted to pay the check, he found that he forgot his wallet. So he called the, the waiter and said, I'll pay you next time. He said, no, I can't do that. I can't just let you leave. It's a big, huge bill, huge uh, check. I said, man, I'm your uh, customer. I always come here. He said, I'm sorry, it's not. Get me your manager. The manager came and said, I can't let you do that. Because if I let you do that, I'm going to have to let everyone do that. He said, what if, uh, you know, just make a list of the pre-approved people, you know, people who you know, and who can always, like, have a balance with you. He said, maybe, maybe if someone can vouch for them, someone who can guarantee them, then I can do that. They can pay later you know, if someone you know, vouch for them. So he, he thought about that, and then the next day he got his partner and his uh, lawyer, and he said, what if we do some kind of club for the businessmen who can go and join a dinner and then pay later? And we can like, make an agreement with some high-class restaurants and whenever they, people can go and, uh, and dine there, they don't worry about paying. We will cover that and for a small fee. And they can pay a, uh, some kind of subscription to our club. And then uh, later on, they can uh, go and uh, enjoy their evening without worrying about money. And we will take a big percentage of that uh, check. I said, what, what are we going to call it? He said, let's call it the diners club which is, you know, the company. The Din that was the very first credit card, the Diners Club. Then uh, it extended to flower shops, travel agencies. So everyone wanted to join this nice club because who is who in the business field? And he wanted to brag that uh, I'm in the Diners Club. And it wasn't plastic, it was metal. At the beginning, it was a metal card. We'll just show it, yeah, just sign this uh, paper. Then the Bank of America liked this. So they started, uh, they wanted to do the same. So they started their own 
some kind of club. It wasn't a club, it was just a card. And they called it AmeriCard. AmeriCard, uh, it was only by Bank of America. And then they started selling this, they, they split it into a separate company from Bank of America, AmeriCard, and they started selling this product. Any other bank, they can just get AmeriCard for them. And then they switched the name to Visa. AmeriCard was the first Visa, then it transformed to Visa. And now everyone wants to uh, be part of this thing, and which transformed to the thing we, uh, we know these days. Of course, with more other details. <laughs> uh, this is the story of the credit card. It's yeah. just someone eating, and why not? Yeah. And it's like trillions and trillions of dollars business now mm -hmm. all, all around the world. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is the story. You yeah. can stop yeah, recording. Yeah. Yeah.